Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Is that all you got? Come on. All right. I just flew in from Oklahoma last night, so I'm a little, I need a little help this morning. A little bit of yelling at me, okay? Can you help me out this morning? <laughs> I've been in Oklahoma all week planning and strategizing for planting 1,700 churches in America over the next five years, 10 years. Is that going to be an amazing experience? We're going to make a difference in this world. We're going to do it. Amen. And the bridge is going to be at the heart of all that. We're excited about your part in what God is doing, quite frankly, to restore our nation. Next Sunday, of course, we're wrapping up the series we've been in where we're talking about restoring the values that formed our nation. We'll be talking about hope, and it's a critical part of, of what our nation desperately needs. But I believe the local church is the hope of the world. Can anybody agree with me on that? I'm convinced it's the local church, and I'm excited about what God's going to do in the days ahead. I do want to take a moment just to, to kind of let everybody know, kind of reassure you a little bit perhaps, but to give you a sense of direction. You know, everybody that ever walks through our door is important to us. Can I get an amen? Whether you're a first-time guest or you've been here forever, everybody that walks through our door uh, is really, really important to us. But let's be honest, sometimes people come and they, they, they attend and they're involved and they leave, and there isn't really a lot of change when that happens. We miss them, but that's about it. And then other people leave because God's led them somewhere else, and there's big old giant gaping hole that's left behind. Anybody tracking with me? Jared Grantham and Amanda Grantham are, uh, that's one couple that, that fits that second description, not the first one. Incredibly creative, incredibly faithful, incredibly dedicated. They've blessed this house in so many amazing ways over the last dozen years or so and beyond. As we know, Jared's been here since uh, all of his life, and then he drug Amanda here, and she took over. And so we, just gotta, <laughs> we do love that couple. But here's what I need you to hear me say as pastor. Sometimes it feels like when somebody leaves that there's something broken, there's something missing, there's something, oh, no, what's going to happen now? Hear me. What is God's will for an individual and what is God's will for a church are not in conflict with each other. God knows both, he has plans for both, and he's going to do amazing things in both when we do things his way. And if anybody's ever done this God's way, it's Jared and Amanda Grantham. They've done it God's way. And so while we're going to miss them desperately, I need you to know uh, that, uh, that we're going to take our time uh, praying and seeking the Lord uh, for the next person who's going to lead from center stage as well as all the other things that Jared was involved in. Uh, we're blessed as a church family to have... Uh, a lot of amazing, gifted, talented people in our house, and so we've created a rotation from all of our locations so that over the next three or four months, we're going to continue to worship with our people as we take our time uh, seeking the Lord and searching out that right person to fill that role. So you pray. I'm taking this on personally. We're going to take the opportunity uh, to get our music people together and do some planning and strategizing for the future, and we just believe God's going to do amazing kind of things. Can we just stop and pray? I know we prayed over Jared and Amanda a couple of weeks ago, but can we just stop and pray right now uh, for not just them, but for this house and for the person that God's already prepared to step into those roles? Can, can, you, can we pray that prayer? Can you find somebody to hold hands with or maybe reach a hand in this direction just as an act of unity and solidarity? Father, we believe with everything in us that your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe you ordained this in heaven, and while we don't fully understand it and in our flesh don't necessarily even like it, uh, we do believe that you are orchestrating this process. And so we believe uh, in Jesus' name that not only are you going to bless Jared and Amanda as they go, but you're going to bless this house. 
You're going to do something amazing among us, and one day we're going to look back and say, wow, look how God used that event, used that season in our life to take us to a whole new level of making a difference both in our lives and our families, in this church, in this community, and in the world. And I thank you in advance for the way you're going to guide this journey in this next season of the bridge, and specifically the bridge Princeton. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give it up. Amen. So I just need you to lean in a little bit. Let's link arms a little bit over the next few weeks as we seek the Lord uh, and as we seek his face. Pray for me as I lead that process. And uh, we just believe God's going to do some really cool stuff. If you haven't gotten one of these, be sure to get one. Uh, the, the series that we're starting on the 13th is really exciting for me because we're going to be talking about some of the people in our lives that that quite frankly, we don't know how to deal with. And can I just be real honest with you? I'm not going to preach the series already, but I'm excited about it. What happens when you start dealing with manipulative people or codependent people is after a while, we just start avoiding them. Am I right? Well, we just start avoiding them because we don't know what to do and it's kind of painful. So we just kind of see them in Walmart and go down to the next row and, you know, kind of, oh, but didn't see me. You know, it's kind of, whoa, what am I going to do? Uh, and, and how many of you know that's not God's way? But it's also not God's way for us to get sucked into it. And so there are biblical answers to dealing with those people in our lives who are hurting people hurt people. They're hurting people, and there are answers to the way we deal with that. And so come be a part of that series. Bring anybody you know that's struggling uh, to be a part of that series. And, and yeah, if you've got a codependent, manipulative person in your life, bring them too. Just don't tell them they're the difficult person. Tell them what you need to tell them, but get them here and let's talk about it together, okay? Let's get into our series. Last week we talked about living the faith adventure. I've already mentioned next week we're going to be talking about the value of hope. I believe with everything in me we're in a world that's desperate for hope in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the reason we do everything that we do around here. But frankly, before we can talk about hope, there's one more value that's needed because hope, hear me, hope is only available to the hopeless in the world when our faith is demonstrated in generosity. Hope is only available to the world when our faith is demonstrated in generosity, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, when he said, since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So today, I want to talk for a few minutes about, I'm not going to keep you long, uh, I promise, it's just real short and sweet kind of thing, uh, but I want to talk about this grace of giving, I want to talk about this spirit of generosity, this value of generosity, but I need you to hear me, okay? So if you went to brunch, come back, because I need you to hear this. I did not come here today to challenge you to be generous people. You are already generous people. You are already an amazingly generous body of people. I came here to tell you the benefits the Bible says accrue to you when you are generous so that you can be watching for those benefits and enjoy them when they come. Because that's who you are. So I just want you to understand the things that come back to you. You're not consumers, you're producers, you're not just getters, you're givers. But I want you to understand 
true to the nature of our God, he says, when you give, I kind of shake it together, press it down, and blow it over on you because he won't be in debt to us. We give some on the scales. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to make sure I'm giving more on my side of the scales than yours, and I want you to know what those benefits are. So very quickly, short and sweet, probably not new information for most of you, but just to get your wheels turning as you think and pray Uh, And as you continue in this vein of generosity that you are, six benefits that I see in Scripture uh, that I want you to watch for and enjoy when God sends them your way. Benefit number one, let's get right into it, is giving makes me more like God. Giving makes me more like Christ. It makes me more like uh, like him. James chapter 1 verse 5 from the Revised Standard Version says, God is not about to give you anything, and if he does, he's going to do it grudgingly. What? That's not what it says? Oh, that's the reviled substandard version. That's not the revised version. Here, read it with me. One, two, three, go. God gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. You know why? You know why God does that? You know why he gives so generously and ungrudgingly? You know why he does that? Because he loves you. And that's what loving people do. When you're in love with somebody, you love to give them stuff. Am I right? That's, that's what we do. When Kim and I first got married, I loved to give her stuff. I was a young Bible college student, broke all the time, but when I could scratch out, so it was cheap stuff. But I loved to give her stuff. In the early years of our marriage, when we were, you know, again, money was tight and struggling a little bit, came Christmas time, we, would, we, we agreed at one point, you know, we're just not going to give each other anything for Christmas. We're, we're just going to put it all in the kids, and we're just going to give uh, to the kids this year. So we kind of agreed to do that, but I hated every minute of it. Every year that, that we felt like we needed to do that, I, I hated that because I loved giving her stuff. And when we finally decided that we would open it up a little bit, frankly, we didn't decide. I just started giving to her, and she said, well, if you're going to give to me, I'm going to give to you. And so it's kind of, you know, it's kind of how it worked, but, but now we play this game. Kim's still in Virginia with the grandkids. She's watching online. I love you, darling. Um, but uh, she, she'll attest to this. We play this game every year. I've got an Amazon list, you know, where I just kind of every time I think of something during the year, I put it in my list, and Kim can go to the list, and she can figure out something to give me for Christmas because Kim's real practical like, like that. She gives me a list uh, so that I can ignore it. <laughs> in fact, she's got to where she won't put anything on the list that she actually wants because she knows I'm going to ignore it. Why? Because I love to think about it. I love to, to ponder it. I love to search the horizon. I love to figure out something that will surprise her, that will get her to say, wow, I just love to do that stuff. And I still don't have a lot of money, so it's not expensive stuff. It's really this kind of thought process behind it. Last year, I gave her a 40-year-old stool. Yeah, it was one that, that, I, that I gave her for Mother's Day 40 years ago, and then I used it and abused it, sorry darling, and uh, messed it up, and so last year I took it into the shop, sanded it all the way down to bare metal, and repainted the thing, and reupholstered the thing, and then showed up with this stool, this 40-year-old stool, and said, Merry Christmas. It was in the back of the truck when I opened the pickup. She said, I smell paint. What's that? Ha, 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 gotcha. Didn't cost much. But why is that so exciting? Why is it exciting for you? Because when you love somebody, you love to give them stuff. That's why. You want to know how much God loves you? You want to know? It's kind of a familiar passage. Let's recite it together, okay? John 3, 16, for God so loved the 
world, that's you, by the way, in case you're wondering, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave the most precious thing available, his son, to the most precious person available. That's you. That's me. Why? Because givers love to give. Lovers love to give. And that's what's going to happen next Sunday morning when we celebrate together an offering fit for a king at the end of services when we come to the front in all of our locations and we bring our offering fit for a king envelope. If you don't have yours or some of the guest services center, we're going we're gonna to bring a love offering to the Lord and we're going to say, Lord, th- this is just an expression of my love for you. And I know it's hard for some people to grasp, but, but offering fit for a king is not a fundraising campaign. Are, are we going to raise money from this offering? Yeah, our, our offering will be larger tomorrow or next Sunday than it, it typically is on the first Sunday of the month. Of course it's going to be. Are we going to use that money to bless some people? Somebody say yes. Of course we are. We're going to help a lot of people. and We're going to do a lot of good things with the money that comes. But hear me, guys, how much money we raise in this offering is not the benefit. Well, it's the benefit to the people that we're going to bless. But for you and me who are giving the offering, that's not the benefit. The benefit is what? We become a little bit more like God every time we give because that's who he is. And so you can walk out with your shoulders a little more square and your chest a little bit higher and your chin a little bit up saying, I'm just a little bit more like Jesus today because our God is a giver. Benefit number two, I told you I'm not going to take long with this. I just want to get these things in your head so you'll be thinking. Benefit number two is giving draws me closer to God. It draws me closer to him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, your heart will be wherever your treasure is. Is that true? Sure. You, you rake and scrape and, and, uh, and put some money together and buy yourself a new car. Uh, where's your heart? It's in the car. I mean, you're washing that thing and waxing that thing and, and, and smiling at that thing, looking out the window and looking at it again, saying, look at my new car. I'm so excited about my new car. And you're playing with the new bells and whistles and all the stuff that's in your new car, and you're so excited. Of course, you know, six months later, there's spilled milkshakes in the back seat and you know, ninja turtles in the back window, you know. But for that first few months, it's exciting because that's where you're Heart is, if you, if you work overtime and an extra job to get some down payment money together to build a house and buy a house, where's your heart? It's in that house, and you're so excited about the new house that, that you've built. If you sacrifice and rake and scrape to put your son or daughter in college, where's your heart? It's in your throat when they fail three classes in the first semester. That's, that's, where, that's, where, yeah, that's where that one is right there. Why? Because you put your treasures there. That's where your heart tends to be. Your attention gets drawn to that place where you've put your treasures. So simply put, if you want God to be close to you, if you want to be close to God, put some treasures there. The more you do that, the closer you will feel to him, the more in touch with him uh, you will be. And so if you're feeling disconnected from God right now, that might be a place for you to check and say, you know, where am I putting my treasures these days? It may have something to do with the distance that you're feeling from the Lord. Benefit number three, it, it breaks the grip of materialism. And I think this is huge. So I'm going to spend a couple minutes on this one. Giving, uh, it breaks the grip of materialism. Anybody agree with me we live in a materialistic society? 
Kind of we all we keep score by how much we got. I mean, the first time you, uh, you you meet somebody new historically, we're kind of sizing them up by the clothes that they're wearing, or the house that they live in, or the car that they drive, or or what they do for a living. I don't know about you ladies, but guys almost immediately say, "What do you do for a living?" So kind of what we do, you know. And if that person says, "You know what? Well, I, I'm a surgeon," we go, "Oh, you make a lot of money, don't you?" And if they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a garbage collector, we go, oh, don't make much money, huh? But you understand the difference? You understand, I'm 60, none of your business years old, and I have never needed a surgeon in my whole life. Praise God, knock on wood. Uh, but if my garbage guy didn't show up this week, I'd be in trouble. We put value on stuff because of stuff. Some, some people, uh, somebody said, some folks seem to think that, that, they, that they're worth a lot of money just because they have a lot of money, as if net worth and self-worth have anything to do with each other whatsoever, and yet it's so incredibly easy to get caught up in this. Okay, tell me the truth. How many are already getting Christmas catalogs in the mail every day? I got to stack that big sitting on my countertop right now. Uh, it's just amazing. And the amazing thing about catalogs is I saw some stuff this week that uh, before the catalog came, I didn't know it existed, and now I can't live without it. I don't. What you need to understand is there are people with master's degrees sitting in a room somewhere 50 hours a week trying to figure out how to make you feel that way. And they're really, really good at it. Well, Pastor, I don't. I don't I don't want to be materialistic. I, I just kind of get drawn into it. Well, let's see what the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be generous and willing to share. In this way they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's so much richness in those three simple verses. We could spend the rest of the day just unpacking those three verses, but, but let me just pull three things out of it, just in the context of what we're talking about today. Three simple things. First, he talks about those who are who? They are, who's who are rich? So who are the rich in this present world? Look at somebody and say, he's talking about us. You know that in America, poor people have a TV or three and a car or two or three. Sure, there are some poor folks in America. We get that. But compared to the rest of the planet, we are phenomenally wealthy people. So in our context, he's talking to us. What's the second part of the verse? Why does God provide it? I see two things in that verse of why he provides those riches. One is, may surprise you, but one of, is, one of them is what? For our enjoyment. Is it okay to enjoy the stuff God's blessed you with? Somebody say yes, quick. It's okay to enjoy the stuff that God's blessed you with. By all means, he's blessed you with it. In, in, enjoy it. Um, God intended you to. Materialism is not defined by having a lot of stuff. Materialism is defined as living beyond your means in order to have stuff because somehow you feel better about yourself because you have this stuff. So he's saying enjoy what you got. Nothing wrong with that. 
But then he says, what's the second reason that he blesses us? I'm going to the rest, rest of the verse. There we go. In order to be generous and willing to share. And so God never intended that, it, that, that you consume everything that he blessed you with. He just never intended that you consume it all. And when you do, then you set yourself up for materialism because there's always one more thing. There's always one more deal. There's one more opportunity. There's one more latest, greatest iPhone that's come out and $1,400 for a stupid telephone. It's not that I'm on a soapbox or anything, but some of you bought one this week, I'm sure. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing how sucked in we get that somehow stuff is going to get us. And, and by all means, enjoy your stuff. But that's not real life. What does he say? The result of, of understanding why God blessed us? Sure, enjoy what you're God, but be generous, be willing to serve and share. And the result is that you actually get what real life is all about. Boy, this lesson came home uh, to us over the last few years. Most of you know we were in Virginia for 25 years. And, uh, and then we moved home to Wayne County about four years ago now. And... Uh, when we were packing up in Virginia, we, we, you know, we're cleaning out. That's one of the benefits of packing and moving, right, is you kind of declutter. And so we started packing up. I kid you not, I took four pickup loads of stuff to a thrift store to donate so that they could turn that money into ministry. It's a Christian Brook, uh, thrift store. And I took four pickup loads of stuff to the landfill. And I can't tell you standing right here what any of it was. And then we moved here and we put everything we've got in storage because we've moved from a big old house to a little 700 square foot cottage. So we stored everything until our new house would be finished, which is finally almost there, you know. But I can't tell you what's in the storage. And I've lived just fine for the last four years without every piece of it. This stuff that we think somehow completes us or fulfills us or is necessary to life just simply isn't. That's not what the sum of real life is. So if you want to break from the spirit that says, if only I could get this, if only I could get that, if only I could have the other, then what's the anecdote to give, give, give? Or to get, get, get? It's give, give, give. I said it backwards and messed myself up, didn't I? The antidote is be a giver because every time you give you are making a countercultural statement that says life is not measured by how much stuff I accumulate. In fact researchers have come to the conclusion that there is a dopamine release that comes. I call them phenethylmermans because I can't pronounce the word but there's this chemical release that comes when we get stuff that lasts for a little while. Kind of this euphoria that comes. But there is a larger and more lasting dopamine release that comes when we give stuff. It's the same kind of chemical release, but it's a, it's a much longer lasting kind of chemical release. In other words, long-term highs come from giving, not from getting. Pastor Joe and Veronica McGorn are going to be with us in our 11 o'clock service this morning, and, and I'm going to embarrass them while they're here. They're good friends. And part of the Acts 2 network that I had the privilege of starting and leading for 10 years. Joe, uh, Joe started a ministry in Manila, Philippines, uh, several years ago, more than 10 years ago, uh, in the Piatas uh, city dump in Manila. If you've ever seen on television or perhaps live a, a city dump in a, 
in a huge metropolitan area in the third world, then maybe you have a sense of it. If you haven't, I don't even know how to describe it. But the Piatas dump site is six square miles of trash, uh, or nine square miles of trash, six stories high. There are 150,000 people who live on that mountain of trash, eking out of living, scavenging what they can find to sell. The stench is unbelievable. The methane that runs out of that, flows out of that mountain, and the, and the biodegraded filth that flows out of that mountain into the streams is it's indescribable, and when you pull up, it's not unusual to see children taking baths in that filthy water. When Joe saw that, having been stationed in the Philippines with the U.S. Navy for many years, it broke his heart, and he knew he had to do something. He had to do something about it, but 150,000 people, the needs are so phenomenal. He was overwhelmed at first with, what do, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then finally having tried many different things, not really feeling like he was making a dent or a difference, um, he ran across a survey that the Philippine government did, and they discovered that 15% of that population, which is about 25,000 people, uh, were hearing impaired or deaf. Most of them, simply because of ear infections as children, there were no medicines to treat. Joe wears hearing aids. He immediately went, that's it. I'll focus in that one area, and I'll begin to make a difference. And so he began to teach sign, American sign, to these children and to these parents. They started to communicate with one another for the first time in their lives. He started a daycare center for these deaf children that grew into a church that ultimately became the Manila campus of Community Church that I had the honor of leading in Chesapeake for so many years. And now there's 150 deaf people worshiping every Sunday morning. The most amazing worship experience of my life, I believe, was walking into the back of that room, total silence in the room, the words to praise songs on the screen, and everybody's just doing this, which means hallelujah in sign. And I just began to weep at these guys praising the Lord. Pastor Michael told me not too long ago there's 500 people involved in that ministry now because eventually the deaf community began to say, can we reach out to our hearing friends and family? The very ones that had abused them and ignored them for years, they now have found Jesus and they want to help them. Well, that started with a guy who said, I don't know what it's going to cost. I don't care. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't care. Will I have to lower my standard of living? Yeah, maybe. Will I have to give something that I want for myself? Maybe. But that doesn't matter because here's an opportunity to give of myself. Now, again, Joe will be here in the second service. You can ask him if you stick around. Uh, you feel like your life might be richer right now than it would have been if you built a bigger house or drove a newer car. He and Veronica are celebrating their 44th wedding anniversary and and are here with Wayne Pregnancy Center in the thrift store learning about how they can do something uh, to minister in human trafficking as well. I guarantee you it begins to break the grip of materialism in your life when you say, you know what, I choose not to be a getter, I choose to be a giver. 
oh boy, I wish I could tell you so many stories. We went one time, we are there, and we discovered that, uh, that the children could only go to the school if they had shoes. So we met a little boy who was, we took shoes, and we just all just took shoes. And we took shoes off our feet and we left barefooted. We were just giving shoes away. And one little boy got so excited because he had shoes. He said, I get to go to school. I get to go to school. What I found out later is that he had a friend who had shoes. And so his friend would go through security at school with shoes on. He'd go around behind the school and throw his shoes over the fence so he could put the shoes on so that he could come in and go to school. And then they would hide their feet under their desk all the way so the teachers wouldn't discover that they were in school without shoes. And he was so excited to have a used pair of tennis shoes. You see, when you start to see that and you feel like you're actually making a difference in people's lives, boy, that dopamine release or whatever you want to call it is so much higher than getting a newer vehicle or bigger house or fashion statement. Giving makes me more like God because that's who he is. Brings me closer to God because where my treasure is, my heart will be connected as well. But ultimately, for me, it breaks the grip of materialism. Stuff that I thought mattered doesn't eternally matter. The, the fourth benefit that comes is it actually begins to strengthen my faith. It actually begins to build my faith. I begin to see how God acts and reacts to me as a giver in a way that he never acted or reacted before. Fact is, sooner or later, every follower of Jesus Christ has to ask themselves the question, do I really trust God with my finances? I told you a couple of weeks ago, I don't know why God chose finances as the acid test of our faith, but he did. He, he did. And, and so eventually we have to ask ourselves the question, do I really trust what God says? Somebody said there's 7,000 promises in the Bible for believers. The key is believers. Here's the deal. God created a system where you have to believe that it's true before it's true for you. You have to believe what God said is true before it becomes true in your life. We like to play show and tell with God. You show me and then I'll tell you whether or not I believe it. It doesn't work that way. This is a God, I believe you. I'm going to act according to that, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Let's see what the Scriptures say. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Neat verse, but is it true? Well, it's only true for you if you believe it's true. Faith comes first. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Looks like Malachi to me. You can say Malachi if you want, but anyway. Uh, bring all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. Well, talk about an awesome promise. He goes on to say, and I'll hold back the pestilence so that what you have will last longer. I'll give you more, and what you got will last longer than what it normally does. Is that an awesome promise? Yeah, if, if, if you believe it. See, in Scripture, there's always a, a premise to the promise. There's always a God's part and a, our part. So I don't know, Pastor, if I believe that stuff or not. I mean, I think I do. How, how do I know if I, if I do? Well, I told you a couple of weeks ago, faith is not a noun. Faith is not a believe word. Faith is a do word. So you look at what you're 
doing with your finances, and then you know how much faith you're putting in God in your finances. Remember what Paul told the the church at Corinth? He said, your giving proves the reality of your faith. So when you take a step of faith, then his promises prove to be true in your life. But hear me, guys, if somehow you've been thinking that offering fit for a king is, is is a manipulation by your pastor to try to get you to give a big offering. Uh, you know, some people have said to me over the years, Jim, you're kind of a persuasive guy. You got a way of saying things that, that's kind of hard to argue with. And I need you to understand that if you bring an offering next Sunday because I talked you into it, it doesn't count. Th- this is an act of faith in what God said, not what Jim said. You got to know that. Don't put your trust in me. I'm just a guy. Okay, I'm a guy who's learned to trust his promises and live this way. So I'm not telling you what I read in a book. I'm telling you what I've learned to live in. But, um, but it's not about what I say. Here's what Paul told the church at Corinth. Everyone must make up his own mind as to how much he should give for cheerful givers are the ones God prizes. For cheerful givers are the ones God prizes. That Greek word is, is actually a word that, that translates hilarious. Like, yeah, we get to give. Yay. God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and what? More so that there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. Pastor Jim, paraphrase of that simply is when you give, give because you know God's about to do something incredible because you did. He's going to respond. I had the privilege this week. I told you I was in Oklahoma in planning sessions for for planting new churches, and uh, we had the privilege to visit Life Church and to spend time with Craig Rochelle. Some of you know that name, some don't. Life Church is currently the largest church in America. Uh, They'll have 100,000 people in church today in Oklahoma and Texas, and I think they're in five states. 32 locations, they run 167 services every weekend. It's a phenomenal ministry uh, that God is blessing in amazing kinds of ways. And Craig told the story about a place, a time in the early days of Life Church getting up and running. They had leveraged debt more than they should to build some buildings. They were in debt. They were strapped for cash. They didn't know what to do. They came into a planning session and began to talk about how how can we create some new revenue streams. And one of the subjects that came up was, you know, more and more pastors want to have Pastor Craig's sermons so we could start selling those sermons to pastors around the country and around the world and and the resources and the videos we create. We could start selling that stuff, and, and, and that would create a revenue stream for the church and and Pastor Craig said well no time out time out I think I think we're missing the point guys we're not going to sell this stuff we're going to give it away we're going to give everything we ever created away anybody that ever wants it can have it you can go to the lifechurch.tv website right now and see every sermon uh, every sermon bumper every video uh, children's curriculum everything they ever create it's available free to everybody in the world and you know what God has done Anybody want to guess what he's done? He's blessed that generosity beyond measure, beyond anything we can imagine because they took that step of faith. The way to get more is not squeeze more. The way to get more is to give more. 
of something you understood. Now understand, faith is like a muscle. The more you use it properly, the stronger it gets. You start where you are, and you begin to grow in it. Uh, I've certainly watched that in my life. When Kim and I were first married, Kim was raised uh, in a family that, that understood the concept of tithing and, and being givers. I was not. And, uh, and so when we first got married, there was a tension point in our lives. The first paycheck I ever got, uh, Kim said, okay, well, uh, write the tithe check. And I said, well, I don't think we can afford it this month. And she said, well, I, we can't afford not to because this is what the Bible says. And I said, yeah, but, you know, we got to, well, how are we going to, you know, when I kind of, pushed back and argued, and she just she dug her heels onto this one. She said, no, th- this is what the Scripture says, what we're going to do. Okay, well, here we go then. And I could tell you story after story of God's provision in our lives, and we're pastoring this little church, making $100 a week, and, and God blessed us in phenomenal kinds of ways. But year after year, decade after decade, we've been married 43 years now, we've watched God stretch our faith a little bit more and bless us a little bit more and stretch our faith a little bit more and bless us a little bit more until most recently we had an offering similar to this one in community church. Those funds were going to go toward building the new worship center, and we're praying, Lord, what do you want us to give in this offering? And the number that God dropped in my spirit uh, was hard to say out loud. In fact, it took me about a week to say it out loud. And when I finally said it to Kim, she just said, well, if that's, the Lord, if that's what the Lord said, let's do it. And uh, no pushback. She said, I don't have a number. The Lord just told me to do what you say. And, and so uh, the number I told her was $40,000 over, th- over a three-year period. And understand, we were making 60 at the time. So it wasn't like we had a bucket of money we're going to dip into and just, okay, yeah, let's just give some of it. It was $40,000 over a three-year period. And uh, so we gave $4,000 from savings in that offering, and then I went to our church treasurer and said, I want you to withhold $1,000 a month for the next 36 months uh, from my paycheck uh, until this commitment is, is uh, uh, completed frankly, not knowing how we were going to do it. And I'm not sure I know how to explain it to this day. I just, I'll just tell you bluntly, the math doesn't work. But I will tell you that I'm standing here six years later. Not only did God provide for us during that season, but we've just built the home that we've been dreaming about for 20 years, our retirement home, the place we're going to live, I trust till Jesus comes, debt-free. And I've got enough money in the bank that if I chose to retire right now, I could. Not going to because I love what I'm doing. But if you guys say, Jim, okay, enough, thanks, you're gone, then I'm okay. My needs are met financially. Why? I believe with everything in me, it's because we took a step of faith. We stretched by faith. I believe it with everything in me. What am I telling you? Am I telling you to bring $40,000 to offering fit for a king? Of course not. It, it's, I told you last week, it has nothing to do with how much. It has to do with how. The attitudes with which. God's created a system whereby he wants to do miracles in your life, but he's waiting to see how much you trust him before he releases those miracles. And then... True to his word, Ephesians 3.20, we looked at last week. He's able to do more than you dare to dream or think or ask. Giving, i got to move on, i got to wrap this up. Giving, a portion of what God has blessed us with, makes us more like him. It draws us closer to him. 
begins to break the grip of materialism in our lives. It stretches and strengthens our faith as he shows up just like he said he would. Benefit number five, giving is an investment in eternity. It's an investment in eternity. You ever notice that the suits you buy in a funeral home, the pockets are sewn up? In fact, they don't even have pockets. You ever notice that? You know why? Because you can't take it with you. You don't need any pockets. But you can send it on ahead, Matthew 6, 20. Store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust and where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Jesus is saying the same thing that the best financial advisor on the planet would say. The best investment is to put your money where it will be safe. And I'm here to tell you there's no greater investment than the kingdom of God. God and son doing business for thousands of years. Years, But unlike mutual funds that say past performance is no guarantee of success, God says, 1 Timothy 6, use your money to do good. Always be ready to share with others whatever God has given you. By doing this, you will be storing up real treasure for yourself in heaven. It is the only safe investment, and you will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well, I believe, with everything in me that there's something amazing that happens when we start storing up treasures in eternity. And then finally, and and I'll hush, kind of tying it all together, giving leads to blessings. I've been saying it all along. Let me just tie it together with this verse. If you, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, remember the words the Lord Jesus said to himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And people love to joke about that. They love to crack jokes. And yeah, it's better to give than to receive. Sure it is, but give me some more. You know, we love to crack jokes about that. But if you were here last spring and we did the series on, on the Beatitudes, what did we learn the word blessed means? It's the Greek word makarios that means extremely fortunate, favored by God. And so what happens is the most blessed people, the most favored people, the most fortunate people on earth are givers. The most miserable people are misers. In fact, it's the same root word, miserable, miser. It's the same root word because they are all tied together. People come to our church all the time and they say, Pastor, these people are so friendly. They're so uh, happy. What, what is up with these people? And I just simply say every time, because they're givers. And that's the kind of spirit that comes from givers. My prayer is, and I'll, I'll hush, is this week as you seek the Lord, if you, again, if you don't have an offering envelope, uh, then I, I pray that you will spend some time. There's some direction on here on how to do a devotion. If you're married, you have kids, do it with your spouse, with your kids. Spend some time saying, Lord, what would you have me give to offering fit for a king? And then prepare yourself for blessing. The blessing of being more like him, of drawing closer to him, of breaking the grip of materialism just a little bit more in your life, strengthening your faith as he shows up and does what he said he would do, investing in eternity, paving the way for the blessed life. And I trust, I pray, that you'll take advantage of that opportunity. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you for the privilege of seeing you work in our lives. 
You made it very clear that there are so many ways that you bless us. There's so many ways that you have blessed us. There's so many things that you have done in our lives to produce blessing. But you also make it clear that that maybe the acid test of it all is what we do with the financial blessings that you give us. Somehow it seems easier to give time or talents than to give finances. But I pray, Lord, that as we seek your face this week, as we process through our own trust in you this week and what your word says, that you'd stretch us just a little bit to a whole new place in you. And then I pray you'd begin to pour out those blessings just like you promised in your word. Thank you for every blessing that comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm praying for you guys this week. I really am. I'm seeking the Lord in my own life. Kim and I will be talking in great detail about what we're going to do next week. Understand what we're going to do is is we're going to have our service as usual. We're going to celebrate. I'm going to talk to you about hope and how hope is rising both in our church and our community and in the nation and what God wants to do with us. And at the end of the service, we're going to do what Deuteronomy 16 says. Then you must celebrate the festival harvest to honor the Lord your God, bring a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings you have received from him, we're going to do that. We're just going to come gather around this altar. Nobody's going to embarrass you or anything like that. We're just going to come together. We're going to honor God with our gifts, and then we're going to pray together and go out and make a difference in this world. I hope you'll be with us next Sunday. Father, thank you for the privilege of, of receiving, but thank you for the privilege of giving. And I pray that you'd speak to us now, even as we process our own faith in you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Guys, the altars are open. If you need to pray with somebody today, if you're struggling with anything that I said today, we'd love to pray with you. Take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, Let us minister to you if we can. We'll see you next Sunday.